Welcome to Season 6 of Business Book Talk. Every week, we have a business book author talk about their book and discover why they wrote it. The conversations are casual in tone, but we try and dig a bit deeper into the subject of the book and discover the author's background and their core ideas. I'm sure you'll like this week's book, so let's get started. Hey everybody, it's Bob again. I've got Monster Loyalty, how Lady Gaga turns followers into fanatics, and I've got Jackie Hubert with me today. Jackie, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. I appreciate it. I'm all agog. Sorry, I just couldn't help myself uh, with this book. It's amazing. Why do you think it's an important book to bring out right now? You know, it's, um, I've been studying uh, customer loyalty for like 15 years and, uh, I've always been on the look for, uh, great case studies, inspiring examples. And, you know, I think to me, it's when we think about innovation, I like to, uh, look outside of the industries that people are working in. And that's why, um, even though I think some people might've thought, Hmm, Lady Gaga is an entire case study for a book related to business. That's kind of weird. Um, But I think there's so many things to learn from how she's built this really loyal fan base. And so it does have a pop culture angle to it because she's she is a pop star. Um, But her long term strategy is to be around, you know, for the next 25 years. So she's she's got a lot of goals that business people have in mind um, and she's doing them in a really innovative way. And that that's why I really wanted to to do the book on her. Do you think it's a good book for also for parents that have teenagers to read so they kind of understand where their teenager's head's at? That wasn't my primary goal. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's really funny. I've done um, talks all around the world uh, on this for business conferences everywhere for all industries. And I've had so many people, you know, of course, adults, business people who come up to me and said, now I know what my kids are talking about. And, oh, by the way, I really respect her now. I had no idea she was doing all that she was doing and all the things that she believes in. So I kind of feel like I'm out there educating people. <laughs> uh, and and I've, I've, I think I've created a bunch of fans for her who never would have thought of her. Well, she is an amazing person. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's a tragic thing that you, people tend to pigeonhole people and say, oh, well, you know, she's a superstar. She's a singer. That's where she is. But she is gone way beyond that she's doing so many amazing stuff and that she's been able to connect with her audience in such a fundamental way is pretty magical actually yeah you know i think um that's one of the main reasons why she has such a passionate following it's because it's not just about the music which does speak to people but she it it, there's like a bigger thing she's trying to do in the world you know she's um, she really uh, believes in creating a kinder uh, place where people are accepted. She um, was bullied when she was a kid, so bullying is one of her big causes. And most people don't know she started a foundation called the Born This Way Foundation um, to help eradicate bullying uh, around the world. And she's asking kids to build a grassroots network of groups in schools or in other places where. Um, you can kind of seek out other people if you're being bullied and you can get support and help and those kinds of things. And so because she kind of stands for these bigger things, I think that's why these little monsters, as she calls them, feel so passionate about her. And like that, that is also actually, you know, a good business strategy. We see these companies who really have great values and they stand for something. Those are ones that customers have an emotional connection to. 
So in, like that, that's how I've tried to bridge that gap, like looking at what she's doing and businesses, there are businesses out there like Whole Foods and Method and other ones who really have strong core values and their customers just absolutely adore them and love them. And so you see that, that parallel. Well, you know, that, that actually is, is a nice segue into the book. And I wanted to ask you, what's the best way to approach this book? Is it is a book you should read cover to cover or should you just read the introduction? Then you can just jump into section three and section five and section six. What do you recommend? Um, I mean, I think it's one that you can read to cover to cover. I had people tell me that they've read it on an entire plane ride because I, what I'm doing is telling a lot of stories um, about her that are really interesting and easy to read. Um, but I've also got these seven tenets of how you can build loyalty like she does. And you can pick and choose. There, I, there's anything from lead with values to focus on your one percenters. But um, I would love for people to kind of read it in order. And in each chapter, I kind of show like how she does what this tenet is, the strategy is, and then how some businesses who are um, doing amazing work, how they're doing the same thing she's doing, but in a, in a bit more business way. So they're not wearing a, a meat dress like she would, <laughs> but for example, generate something to talk about as one of the tenants, but they're doing other things that are word of mouth worthy. Um, and so I think, um, I think it's a pretty uh, fast, quick read, um, even though I think it's about 200 pages. So, but it goes quickly. Yeah, no, it, it's it's a nice, uh, steady read. It's very smooth reading, and and that you have so many great stories, and it really makes it memorable. And uh, I'm a big believer in using stories to communicate instead of uh, just a bunch of facts that go into the brain and then come straight back out. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your um, how by taking this information studying this particular the you know lady gaga and, and her techniques and stuff like that and putting it on paper um what your aha moment was where where because you know you've been doing this a long time and you've written other books about this but when you do it this way and writing you were writing the book what was the the area what was the idea what was the aha moment for you that really registered as a truism for you yeah you know one of the things um that really hit me as I was writing. And I mean, I knew a lot about her, but the more that I was researching, the, yeah, I mean, I have these great business strategies that I talk about, but there's something really interesting about her and the confidence that she had in herself from early on is why she's so successful, honestly. And sometimes I feel um, like she, she likes to take chances. She pushes the boundaries um, she, and I have so many amazing stories of, of places where she did that. And I think sometimes like it kind of hit me even in my business life, we're thinking about us as business people or marketers. We really, if we're, you know, we want to do good in the world with our business. We want to stand out. We want to, um, do great things for the customer. And it does take sometimes having confidence and taking risks and being really creative to stand out in what we're doing, even for ourselves or for our business. And that's the name of the game today. I mean, it's just, it's a crazy, noisy world out there. We're all trying to sell more product, keep our customers. But, you know, I think it's, it's hard to stand out. It's hard to be noticed because with social media, everything is so noisy. So we have to be different. And it, it takes being creative. And sometimes that really takes us pushing our own boundaries, pushing our management's boundaries um, to try new things and not do the same old, same old, because otherwise we're not going to be able to stand out. And I really admire her for that personally, um, especially as a young woman. I mean, she just turned, what, now 29. 
So the whole time she was doing this, you know, she was, she started uh, when she was 19, but she came to fame when she was 23. So she's kind of grown up um, uh, right in front of us. But the amount, the amount of amazing confidence that I see that she has is just, uh, uh, that, that was a real aha moment for me. Do you think that um, a lot of people don't get that her success is based on an incredible drive? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, I've had some people who don't know that much a matter thinks she's just a manufactured pop star. Mm. Or like a boy band or something like that. Let's just find some talented guys, put them together, put them in some clothes, and get a bunch of songwriters to create some... And basically, you know, put all the elements together and then put out this soulless machine, and they go do the tour. They make people a lot of money, but as far as the music industry, it doesn't really do it any good. Right, exactly, yeah. And that maybe she has this big team around her who's kind of crafting these strange outfits and doing weird things, and... Um, so that, that I, it's disappointing when I see people write her off like that. Like what I've learned about her is she's a performance artist. She's a student of Andy Warhol. She sees life as one constant performance artist piece, performance piece, you know? So when she walks out of a ho- her hotel in an amazing, strange, weird outfit, um, that to her is art. Um, and she sees her whole life as art. And some people see that. They just think she's attention-grabbing, and it's just like the meat They don't even understand what the meat dress was, which in the book I talk about the story behind that. There's a huge, huge meaning behind that. But people just think it was something to do to grab the attention. The way art works is you have to, as the consumer of art, you have to educate yourself. And a lot of people don't realize going to an art show or an art opening isn't just turning up, having some drinks and looking at the art and going, aha. It's actually reading about the artist, finding what their background is, uh, reading uh, what the statement is for that particular show. So when you go there, it has much better meaning uh, and you have something to talk about and you can stimulate your brain. But that seems to not register with most people in our, in our world today. And it's kind of sad that you know we're, we're being exposed to all this amazing stuff, but we really have no idea why. We have no history behind it. We have no knowledge do you think it's because we're inundated with uh, vapid commercialism or is it just because we just don't have time or the willingness to research the things we're interested in? I, I mean, I really do think it has a lot to do with um, how social media has really changed the culture where it's about headlines and it's about, you know, going viral. And so you see a lot of even, you know, online news sites it's like clickbait. It's about getting a headline about something that will cause people to click. And so it, it you know, becomes very surfacy. So for, here's one example. Um, a couple of years ago, Lady Gaga was the headliner at South, but the South by Southwest music festival. Right. And, um, you know, the Austin music scene is very gritty. So she decided to do this performance piece that was very gritty um, she had long white dreads on, which I don't think we'd ever seen her with these dreads. She kind of looked really, it just, I don't even know how to say this, just kind of like uh, crusty and thrown together and not, wasn't a polished look at all. And she's out on the stage. Um, there's a woman who's an avant-garde vomit painter <laughs> that she had, had worked with before and brought her out on stage. And she, the first thing she said is, this song is about rape. And then she did the song, it's called Swine, it was off the Art Pop album, and she proceeded to, she wore this white, like, smock, I want to say, and this woman had um, fluorescent paint and vomited on her a couple of times while she was singing. 
while she was riding a mechanical bull, <laughs> right? And the headlines were Lady Gaga vomited on at concert. And what she was saying in this art piece was, which I cannot believe people, you know, that me didn't pick up on it was one. She was admitting that this song was about rape because she was sexually assaulted in her life as she was younger. Um, and it was when uh, she was just coming up in the uh, record industry and she, uh, it was someone in the record industry who she hasn't named. And so that she was sort of channeling and song is called swine about this person. And the feeling of what was happening to her was like being vomited on. And that's why she had the vomit painter. And why was no one writing about the fact that Lady Gaga just talked about this very, you know, horrible thing that had happened to her in her life and that she had written a song about it. All people could talk about was vomit, vomit, vomit. As if, as if she had picked someone off the stage, you know, off the, out of the crowd to vomit on her or something. Um, this woman is a very avant-garde artist, but she's worked with her before. She um, ha- does a... It's a really interesting, strange type of art, but she, uh, this is just what she does. So it's that kind of thing. And Lady Gaga sees this over and over again. I think we all see this over and over again. And that's really sad because when you dig into it, there's such meaning behind what's going on. Um, And now there's a new um, movie coming out about uh, sexual assault on campuses um, coming out soon. And Lady Gaga has a main, um, the, the title song in it because it's so important to her. So there's a, there's a lot behind it. I, I, but the good thing is on the internet, if you really try, you can dig and you can find these stories. And that's how I found out about this because someone actually took the time to, to write about the song and what happened to her and why she had the vomit painter and it made sense to me. Oh, wow. Okay. That's amazing. But when you dig, you find it. Well, that's it. I mean, if you're, if you're producing work, uh, especially relatively complex pieces like she does that have a lot of hidden meaning and have a history behind it. If people are unconscious of that's how it should be consumed or uh, don't really care or have the time or just in it on a consumerism level, of course a lot of it's going to be lost. My question is, by Lady Gaga creating these super fans and um, giving them a name and giving them an identity and relating to them and giving them special uh, awareness and treatment, is she doing that to create a large segment uh, of her fan base that is highly educated? So when she does do stuff like that, they get it. And then all the news feed stuff is irrelevant to those fans. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. So um, most of this stuff that she's done in terms of creating this community is really organic, right? She just un- she feels very loyal to her fans, and in, in return, they feel very loyal to her. Um, there are whole fan sites like Gaga Daily where every single day you can go find out what is happening with Gaga because they report on all of it. They know absolutely everything. There's references from years ago. So that Vomit Painter, people remember that on the Monster uh, Tour, uh, which was, um, gosh, her first tour, there was actually um, videos in between the songs when she would change her clothes that was this artist vomiting on this amazing ball gown that she had on. And everyone remembers that and they can um, remember, oh, that was that woman. So yeah, and we find that, you know, this kind of behavior happens in business too, where if you have a brand that people love, absolutely adore, especially in the social media world where people are, you know, very quick to critique what's going on, you, you see these um, super fans, the super customers who will jump on and say, you know, but here, no, wait, here's what's really going on. Um, I don't know if you saw that press release. Here's what they're trying to do. Um, and you'll see that people come in and defend 
that brand that they love, whether it's Gaga or Whole Foods or whatever, um, and try to disseminate that correct information because they know what's going on. They're so close. And so I think this really, for companies, they need to embrace this inner circle. This is, this is my main message with this book. I see so many companies who just treat all their customers the same. Well, in fact, they're actually more focused on the new customers because they're trying to get as many as they can. And they forget that they have an army of people if they would only engage more closely, especially these super customers, um, what a powerful force that they are. And I mean that for good. I don't mean to exploit, um, but that they can be such an asset to the brand or to the company. And, and I hope that's what people will take away from this. Yeah, I mean, it. I think one of the first companies to actually do that um, was Campbell's Soup about 12 to 14 years ago, maybe even longer. And um, they discovered that uh, 20% of their consumer base was giving them 80% of their profits. So they said, well, hang on. <laughs> if this is the case, why aren't we rewarding this 20%? So that was when Campbell's Soup started to actually print um, very, very nice uh, recipes for their products on the inside of the label and did a, a, a large marketing campaign to promote that. But they actually took a billion dollars off of their marketing budget and funneled that into awareness campaigns and reward campaigns for this 20%. And it was hugely, hugely successful. And so this is, you know, what Lady Gaga is doing is, is similar, but it's like the new age version of it where she's uh, doing even more stuff. She's basically created a transparent life and has empowered her followers to do the job of, a, of basically a, a publishing house and a PR house and a, a defensive house. All these things are going on automatically for her. And it's a super cost-effective way of actually doing it once you get to your you know specific numbers. So her ROI, and this is like with all organizations that you talk with, they, they always say, yeah, but what's the ROI of it? Well, Check it out. Look what Lady Gaga is doing. Now, she is an anomaly and she's in the entertainment business. There's all this other stuff that's going uh, for her. But if uh, an organization kind of takes what you're teaching in this book and utilizes it properly, they could save a ton of money. Yeah, absolutely. And um, one of the companies I think who, for example, who does this, who I think is super smart and I profile them in the book, um, is Mini, the folks who do uh, Mini Cooper. They funnel so much of their marketing towards their current customers because they know that their current customers, one, love their product, and two, love to talk about their product. And that the best way to convince someone to buy this tiny little car <laughs> is um, to hear it from someone else. And so um, they, they spend so much money on, um, on marketing to current customers. One thing they do, I talk about in the book, is they do this every other year. It's called Mini Takes the States, where it's like they advertise to all the mini owners, hey, let's all get together and let's drive from the West Coast to the East Coast over a course of 10 days in like 15 different cities. They have meetups. So you don't have to drive the whole thing. If you're a mini owner like in Austin, Texas, um, which is one of the stops, you know, you can join up and we'll have a party. So in all these stops, they were getting something like at an average 900 minis would show up in these cities <laughs> and have like a giant party. And because mini owners love to talk to other mini owners, right? And they love to connect. And um, most of the corporate team came on this trek. So now you're meeting senior management. If you're a customer, you're, you see how much these people care that, and they thank you for being a great customer. 
And what are the byproducts? The byproducts are um, Instagram posts and videos and Facebook posts and tweets about all the fun stuff that's happening when you're at this sort of giant mini reunion in, in your town. And it's funny, we have so many, um, we have so many companies who worry about content marketing, like creating content for social media. But here we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of customers creating that content for them. In fact, it's funny, I just saw a stat um, last year that came out that said, um, this one research firm said that 4.7% uh, of a customer's base that's online, of a, of a brand's um, customer base online, is generating 100% of social, their social referrals. Yeah, so it's this tiny group that loves to talk, but the key is how do we give them things to talk about? Well, this giant event, this two-week event, for many... I mean, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of impressions, if you want to count impressions, came out of that thing. Plus, they, you know, many got great footage from it, and they were using it in their marketing as well. Um, but they've created this community of people who just love the brand and who love to get together, and they're just amping up the enthusiasm um, and doing it in a really authentic way. You know, it's not like anyone feels manipulated. This is They just love that people care about them, and they give them this platform to get together, and, and then word of mouth just happens. Well, I think you used a couple of key words there, authentic probably being the most uh, powerful one uh, and relevant. And uh, I think a lot of social media endeavors that go out have neither or have neither. And so what do you have to say about that? You know, it's funny because there's a lot of, um, gosh, there's so many things that people try to orchestrate word of mouth. Um, how do we how do we get our followers to talk about us? Do we need to do incentives? Do we need to do um, which by the way, the FTC now has rules about that. I mean, I hope everyone knows about this, but um, if you're a brand and you are trying to engage in a program where you get bloggers to talk or you get online influencers to talk, you have to have that be disclosed. The people who are talking about you, if they've received anything from you, that has to be disclosed. Otherwise it's against FTC regulations. Um, but I, I see this sort of inauthentic, more like how do we incent people to talk? How do we get them talking versus this more organic? How do we create something different worth talking about? Like that's a very different orientation. <laughs> well, uh, do you think it's because a lot of uh, companies that are out there today really have no idea who they really are? Um, perhaps. I think some of it is the mentality that marketers have been used to for a long time, which is we buy, we buy things, we buy ad space, we buy eyeballs, we buy impressions, we buy things, right? That, I mean, so how do we, social media is another media platform. How do we buy impressions? And I, so some of it is there's a mindset of how do we just buy that? Um, but it's different. Social media is a completely different tool, set of tools Right, and so if it's inauthentic things are rooted out very easily, you can tell when something. I mean, I remember back in the early days, my um, second book was called Citizen Marketers. It was about um, the rise of social media and all people creating content. And I remember so many examples um, in the book and in my keynotes about people trying to game social media. I don't know if, if your audience remembers this, where people would have um, fake blogs that looked like a real customer writing things. And this is why the FTC uh, thing got discovered. But so many examples of PR firms trying to game social media for their clients, and they got caught every time. It was really embarrassing. <laughs> um, but I think people have, I think a lot of people have now learned um, 
that now you can create these authentic connections with customers in mass like you never could before. Um, and I think that um, I think it's such a such great t- tools for marketers these days. Yeah, and and I think you know as this set of tools matures and you get people in the decision making positions that actually are taken seriously, not just oh let's just get the student to do social media because it means nothing. When people uh, and companies get to the level where they say we've got to take this super seriously. And how are we going to utilize this to our advantage? You're going to have people coming in saying, yeah, absolutely, you can use it to your advantage. But guess what? The way you use it to your advantage is you've got to be completely transparent. We've got to be able to chat with C-suite almost instantly if there's a crisis. There's a lot of fundamental shifts that uh, the organization is going to have to make if they want to be, uh, number one, authentic, but also be able to, to, to react fast enough. I think a lot of uh, companies are just in this quagmire of, of legal terror where it's, oh, we've we got to get the lawyers to approve it. And, ah, well, if you've got to do that, then it's a non-functional social media device that you created. Yeah, I remember when the financial companies started using social media, so many stories about um, the lawyers giving them tweets that they were approved that they could use <laughs> to respond to every single customer. Uh, online, and I'm so glad to see that we've gotten past that. Um, but you know, one of the things I think is a major problem too is you know when you think about loyalty, that's for the long term. And I think we see a lot of people in the marketing organization who are used to kind of camp- campaign-based marketing, where you know we run a campaign, it lasts so long, and then it's dead, and then we do the new one. So if anyone thinks of like an online community, for example, um, as a marketing tool, that's not a short-term campaign. So when you start doing these long-term loyalty things and you get a new CMO who comes in and says, oh my God, why are we spending so much money on a community manager and talking to customers? I think this is a bad idea. And they kill it. Now you've got a backlash on your hands because customers think you're in it with them for the long term. Um, And I've seen a lot of CMOs think of this stuff as these are just campaigns. Okay, that's not my agency. I'm getting a new agency. Those weren't my marketing programs. We're going to start new stuff. Um, and they, they have had backlash online. Um, and it's sad when you see it because there was no, no need for it. So the hard term, I think the hard thing is this long-term strategic thinking, um, which is, uh, sometimes you see and sometimes you don't see. I mean, if you have somebody coming in on a purely marketing level and they're agency driven and they're kind of all about doing campaigns, blah, blah, blah. And then they, you have another guy that's coming on on the uh, on the PR level that's about campaigns and stuff, but it's a little bit different. Do you think it would be easier to educate the marketing people to be more relevant and use social media more properly, or would it be easier to educate and change somebody on the um, PR side, or not at all, or just like get rid of both of them and, and have a brand new position? Yeah, I don't know. It's funny because I just um, interviewed um, someone that uh, you and I both know, Jeannie Bliss, who uh, has written books about the chief customer officer. And I would like to think that when you have a chief customer officer in place, that those folks are thinking for the long term. And that is an interesting position that we don't see. I mean, I would like to think that any CMO, I mean, to me, the CMO is there to be the voice of the customer for the long term. Um, and maybe having to name it the chief customer officer lends a little more light to that. I don't know. And so I don't want to stereotype like, like 
the PR people don't get in. So I, I hate that I just used that comment earlier, but I think it's, I think it's just finding, um, if I was a CEO and I was looking for a senior leader that's either the chief customer officer or CMO or someone like that, I would look for someone who understands, who thinks strategically about customers for the long term. It's one, yes, we have a new product. We need you know customer acquisition or for a new company, it's about awareness and we need to do PR things. And that, that's great. Once we get past that, you know, we want these customers to keep buying from us and we want them to keep talking about us. And so, you know, one of the smart things I've seen some uh, leaders do on the marketing side or the customer side is institute key metrics into what the whole C-suite looks at around customers. For example, net promoter score, for folks who don't know, net promoter score is a measure of how likely your customers would be to recommend. So to me, that, that's a great loyalty metric because your customers love you and then how likely would they be to recommend? You need to be doing great stuff. So when people start benchmarking those scores... The second question on that survey is just two questions. The second one is, can you tell us why you gave us that score? So if you're getting low scores, you get open-ended questions um, like that where people are giving you feedback on what you're screwing up. Or if you're getting high scores, they're giving you feedback on what you're doing well. It's such a great measure um, to make sure you keep doing things that are worth talking about. And that's today what we need to do. So if, if the, the senior marketers can get that into the metrics for the business, then I think that that starts to keep things long-term focused, I think. Well, I think too also that we're, we're in the Wild West stages still. I mean, social media hasn't been around that long and used as an efficient marketing or communication tool uh, even a shorter time. And things are happening so fast that it's so hard to keep up with it. And Really, when you're dealing with C-suite, some of these people that you're trying to get on board have been in business doing it their way for 30 or 40 or even longer uh, years. Uh, so it's very hard for them to say, yeah, but this has only been around for six years. This has only been relevant for three years. And this, can't we just wait it out and say, no, you can't because you don't have that luxury anymore. If you're going to wait it out, you're not going to be in business. And we can't look at social media in a vacuum, right? Because what we need to think about, too, is in this world where there are so many ways to comment about a company or a brand and people have the Google, um, you know, when people are researching, what they're seeing is what other people are saying. And that's why social media is important, because when people are looking for a new product, and it depends on what type of product. I mean, certainly if it's an expensive electronic product, they're going to do way more research than they are for, you know, something to clean the floors of my house. However, I mean, I've Googled stuff like that. Like, what's the best cleaner for this particular type of wood on my floor? Um, you want to know what other people are saying. And that's why social media is something you can never ignore because you need people out there saying great things because you're doing great things. And you can engage with people, answer questions, and all of a sudden you're creating more word of mouth. That's what you need at the end of the day. Like I said, it's so noisy out there. We need not just us as the marketers saying what we're doing, but we need tons of other people out there also saying what we're doing because they're way more credible than we are. And that's what people are looking for. And social media is another great way to interact with, um, with those people who are talking about us. So I think that's why it's, it becomes really hard to ignore. Do you think this is going to be the first generation um, that ha has grown up and not had to go to their mother and ask them how to cook a particular thing or how to fix a certain thing because they can just look it up online? 
I think it's amazing. Yes. Um, I, you can learn anything online. (laughs) (laughs) It's hilarious. I, um, I find, especially, um, I've actually been learning a lot of makeup techniques all of a sudden. I've really gotten into that and, and I'm not actually finding drag queens, believe it or not, who are masters at makeup and they're doing tutorials. Um, we have other women doing tu- makeup, makeup artists doing tutorials. Um, and there's all kinds of young people, teenagers who are learning how to do their makeup, not from their mom but from these tutorials, these makeup tutorials on YouTube. I swear you can learn anything on YouTube. <laughs> it, it is amazing, and, and uh, I am for sure uh, completely addicted to actually finding a problem so I can look it up on YouTube and then fix it. I mean, I get a lot of entertainment out of that. Um, and it's kind of changed the way I, I look at life. It, it's like I don't have to worry about a lot of things that I used to worry about. My children also have a very similar attitude because they've been brought up with Google around them. Uh, and they do some really weird stuff. Like I was chatting with my daughter the other day and she had like 30 or 40 different types of nail polish. And I said, wow, that's interesting. Do you use this? She says, no, I just collect it. And what she was doing is she'd buy a nail polish, she'd put it on her hand, she'd photograph it with her phone, and then she'd post it to her friends. And they would talk about the different colors and show it and have this whole conversation without actually going to each other's house and having a little nail polish party. Yeah. It's a new way of, of, of looking at stuff. It's very strange. <laughs> and the thing, I know, exactly. And the thing that's so uh, interesting about it, though, is that now you can find like-minded people for any niche thing in the world, which is quite amazing. Um, because this idea of, um, when I talk about in the book, you know, building community among your one percenters, Online is a great way to do it because, and you find like cult brands. Um, I had a, f- a friend uh, when I lived in Chicago who was the brand manager for Philly Cream Cheese. And she was telling me about these insane people who are super fans for Philly Cream Cheese. I know. And they, of all things, and they created their own fan site, their own community. They just love to talk about things they could make with Philly Cream Cheese. Have you tried it for this? And I was like, are you, are you kidding me? I mean, there is an online community and people you connect with on any subject. And in some ways that is very, very cool um, because there may not be anyone in your physical world who knows anything about that and doesn't understand your passion for something. Um, but this is a great customer behavior thing to understand because now if you have some sort of company brand product that people love, they can find ways to connect each, with each other online and why not help them do that? I mean, Lady Gaga has her own little monster community, online community for her one percenters. There's about a million people in there. Um, and she has tens of millions of people on her, all of her social media, but only 1% of them go to the site. And I think like something like that is we've seen businesses do that as well, where they create their own place online where customers can come. Sometimes the customers created themselves which is super neat, and then the companies can just come in and, and be part of it. That's when you know you have an amazing brand, when uh, a fan, a customer base has created the community for you. That's, that's, that's a telling sign. Well, absolutely, and, and the ability to go in there and not mess it up. I mean, what would happen 20 years ago is people would go and say, oh, you can't do that, you're not allowed. We're going to sue you unless you take down that website, not realizing that they were destroying something that was incredibly valuable. Yes, we've seen that many times, that kind of heavy-handed 
no, um, like for example, if the fan site was using the logo, right, they would go crazy and, um, alien, it's funny cause you're, you, you, that, those are your super fans and to have that heavy handed approach when we saw when social media first started to send the lawyers in and send cease and desist to your best customers is really like the worst thing you could possibly do. Oh, absolutely. So, um, one of the things you talk about in the book is naming your community or naming your fans, giving them a name. Why is that so critically important? Yeah, um, this idea of naming the community, it's, it's a place where fans, customers can raise their hand because they want to be part of something, right? It's just like I was saying, you want to connect with someone else who likes what you like. And when you put a name on it, it gives it an identity. Like, it's funny because when I do my keynote talks, I ask, like, the first thing I ask the crowd is, um, who's a Lady Gaga fan? And the hands go up. And then I'll say, who's a little monster? And you see some hands go down, some stay up. Because everyone knows a little monster is a super fan, right? It's, it allows them to identify as part of this group. So, um, for example, in the book, I talk about Maker's Mark. And this was back in 2001. Um, Maker's Mark, for a long time, was just a local Kentucky brand. And then they went national. And the management of that is from a family, um, the Samuels family. And they felt like they were losing touch with who their customers were. This is way before social media. And Bill Samuels Jr., who was the son of the founder, went to the board and said, you know, I want X amount of dollars because I want to create a way for our fans to be closer to us. And I, so I'm going to call them the ambassadors and I need money for an ambassador program because we don't know who these people are anymore. They're all over the world. And they started with email. There was no social media. It was basically just an email list you could sign up for and um, you would be informed of what's going on at the distillery and what the latest things were happening. And then they would come to different cities and do tastings or just have parties and they would invite you. They would send you direct mail of all things. Uh, they spend so much money in direct mail. It's amazing. They would send you a Christmas gift every year. They would send you business cards. I mean, you actually joined something and you were, I mean, it may sound goofy if you're not a Maker's Mark fan, but people were proud to be like a card carrying member of the Maker's Mark ambassadors because they love it and they love to tell people about it and they love to showcase their love for it. So um, I think uh, Maker's Mark now, what, 14 years later, um, hundreds of thousands of people, they won't disclose how many people are in it because they want to still make it feel small. But it's a, it's a giant group of people that they connect with through now, of course, social media. But back in the day, we're talking email and direct mail. For, you know, people are listening to the show and, and, and companies out there that, that want to evolve in the right direction. There are so many choices. There's so many actions that they can take. And it makes it almost impossible to, to take that first action. What would you recommend that a company does? Um, I think the first thing is um, the first tenet in the book, which is to find your one percenters. I think that's the most important thing. So if you've committed yourself to, you know what, we really want to focus on loyalty, um, you can start with uh, a net promoter survey to figure out what percentage of our customers are promoters of ours. It's a great way to just kind of get a base level of how well are we doing um, and figure out what percentage are. Um, and then start to really understand who they are as well. Um, and if you realize that now you have a big enough community and people um, are uh, they're wanting to be engaged, then you can start figuring out who they are. Um, they may be the people who have signed up for social media. They may be the people who call your 1-800 number all the time with unsolicited advice. If you're retail, they may be the people who come in your stores all the time. 
Um, they may be the people who talk about you on social media all the time. Um, there's so many ways to figure out who they are. I've got a bunch in the book, but you know, let's figure out who they are. Then we can start figuring out like what kinds of engagement we want to do with them. But one, do we have them? So let's survey to do that. And then two, where are they and what are they like? Who are these people? Uh, for people that uh, have read the book or, or want to learn more, where should they go? Yeah. Um, well, you can find me at JackieHuba.com. I have an email newsletter. Um, I also write for Forbes. I've got a Forbes column, uh, Forbes.com slash JackieHuba. So you can find more articles about um, this kind of loyalty there. And um, what's the best social media platform for people to connect with you? Um, I would say Twitter. One last question before we go. Um, if somebody was going to do one thing today to move toward having a monster loyalty type of approach to their um, their social endeavors in, in marketing and their ability to connect with uh, people that are super fans, what should they do? Uh, I think actually I might have just answered that, Bob. I think it is the one percenters. I think that's where you have to start. You have to find out if you have any, <laughs> and you then you start to engage them. But it's it's um, figuring out if you have them first because when you're on that sort of long term loyalty path, it starts with knowing whether your stuff's worth talking about. And when you survey and you find out people are not rating you high, they wouldn't recommend you. You got to first dig to understand why not. And so doing some surveying like that really helps. Actually, there's two things here. Like when you say you know one presenters. How many one presenters are there, uh, you know, with an average company, five, 10, 15, or just one or two? I mean, how many super fans actually exist for an average company? Because you don't want to have people going out saying, well, we've got three super fans. That's not enough. We need 10 super fans. Really, it's not about counting, oh, we have 10 super fans. Aren't we great? It's no, it's, it's more about where are super fans and start communicating with them more than counting them. Yeah, well, it's funny. I guess I didn't even explain this idea that I call the one percenters. Um, is in my second book when my co-author and I were looking at the most engaged uh, customers as part of a, a community. We looked at online communities, and over and over and over and over again, the super fans, the ones who were super engaged, super connected, it was around one percent. Over and over and over again, every community we looked at IBM, Intuit, Microsoft. We looked at all these communities. It was always one percent, or around one percent. Um, and it could vary for different companies, but the key is it's a small number. It's a small number. It's not, it's not 50%. It might not even be 20%, like the 80-20 rule. But there is a small percentage um, that, that could be these folks. But it, the key is to first understand if you even have them. That's why I love Net Promoter Score, because at least it helps you understand um, that you do have some because they're saying they would be likely to recommend you. Then the hard part is to go to actually find them. Like, who exactly are these people? Um, where do we see them in the wild, offline, online, and then start to come up with programs to engage them? Yeah, like everything, it sounds easy when you say it, but then when you actually try and implement it, it you realize, like, oh my gosh, I don't have the resources, I don't have the time. And um, I think that's one of the, the, the biggest failings for people that are trying to uh, convert their company into this type of approach is they're just not given the time or the funding to uh, do an adequate job, and then they fail, and then the people in C-suite see See, there you go. It was a bad idea. Not realizing that they're actually doing huge damage to their company. Yeah, it's funny. I, I do think things are changing. Like, for example, the woman that I, I talked about who was the um, brand manager for Philly Cream Cheese. This was a number of years ago, but she wanted to do some loyalty work with those fans that I mentioned. But 
honestly, it was such a regimented marketing system that they, they had like an approved list of marketing tactics they could do. And it was all advertising, um, in-store point of sale, you know, TV, radio, blah, 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 online. But there wasn't anything around community, connecting with loyalists. There was nothing like that. So she couldn't, she literally couldn't get any budget for it um, because they were so used to the marketing processes that they use. I feel like today things have really changed. I see so many companies using Net Promoter Score. I see so many companies focused on they understand why loyalty is important. To me, it's really exciting. Um, and I keep seeing new, new creative new things that, that's happening in loyalty, and I love it. Monster Loyalty, How Lady Gaga Turns Followers into Fanatics. We've had Jackie Huba with us today. And uh, for sure, if you're into social media or considering social media and not quite getting it, this is a book you should definitely read. It's got the answers and uh, basically enough information in here to get you going. So uh, for sure, read the book, check out some of the stuff we've talked about, and I'm sure you'll be well on your way to creating your own little legion of uh, super fans for your business or brand. Jackie, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. Thanks for listening to the show. And don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Like us at Facebook forward slash business book talk. Follow the host on Twitter at Bob Garlic. Visit the website businessbooktalk.com for show notes and lots of other great interviews. See you next week.